I was having a lot of trouble with Ironman. Was, you can put all that training in and, mm. and keep spewing up. It's, it's, you know, it really throws you off. Um, but yeah, obviously for me, solid food just didn't work. So little yeah. bit of nutrition helped. If I knew that back then, it would have saved me a lot of, a lot of grief. Hello and welcome to the Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm your host, Steph Gaskell, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Alan McCubbin. How are you, Alan? Pretty tired, Steph. We've, uh, it's coming towards the end of the uni semester here in Australia, and I've been writing exams. And uh, that's had deadlines when you have to get the exam submitted in order to get it all electronic these days, uh, in order to get it all done and ready in time for, for our students to do their end of semester exams. So, uh, yeah, been tapping away on keyboards for the last few nights to getting all of that done. So, yeah, looking forward to that being finished just in yeah. time for their last assignment to come through and then have to do the marking for that and then the exam obviously will have to be marked as well. So, yeah, it's a busy busy few weeks uh, or the end of a semester, I guess, for, for any, any people working in teaching roles in universities is always a bit crazy. Mm -hmm. Never-ending marking, fun times. Yep. Yep. How about you? What have you been up to? Uh, I've been doing a bit of marking too, which is, is fun. Um, I can understand now um, I've got a family of teachers, so I can understand now when they complain about all the marking that they have to do. <laughs> and I only have to do like a tiny little fraction. Um, so I actually find it quite enjoyable. Uh, and I've been able to recruit um, a few more participants, which is fantastic. Uh, so yeah, just shot out some more emails the other day and, um, been lucky enough to, to recruit from that. So, um, yeah, this week, um, just been in the lab with three, uh, three study days, which is great. Um, so yeah, just working away at getting, getting those studies done. Awesome. Mm. And freeing up the lab for you, Alan, when you're, when you're having fun there for, Running for five yeah, hours. Well, I'm my, my yeah, my first one for my five-hour sodium study comes in next week. So, yes. I'm trying to get myself fit enough to run five hours. Well, there you go. Then you can join. Mm, I know. I'm trying. I'll see. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, see. So, yeah, see how we anyone, go. anyone wants to be involved and wants to look at sort of sweat testing and, and sodium replacement and uh, what that involves and... You know how how your body responds to, to replacing all the sodium that you're losing your sweat versus not. Then um, yeah, certainly get in touch with us because uh, we'd love to have you in the study. But uh, yeah, five hours of running is obviously not for everyone, but for the ultra runners out there who want a bit of a challenge over winter here in Melbourne, it's a great opportunity to to exercise in nice nice warm summer environment. Exactly, and again, you get to jump off every you know. I don't know, 30 minutes or so. Um, so yep. it's it kind of breaks it up a little bit. So yeah. A little bit yep. easier mentally, Netflix. I think. Yes. Yep. We've got Netflix. Yep. You can listen to podcasts. Yeah. We, we, we'd like to entertain people while they're running. And also just in terms of social media, if anyone has any questions uh, for us that they want us to answer, um, please uh, shoot through those on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Yep, absolutely, at The Long Munch. Awesome, cool. And so who do we have today coming up, Alan? Yeah, it's episode 12D today. We've said last week we never had a C episode, well, we never had a D episode either. Um, so our topic continues here, how do I tackle my first ultra-distance event? Uh, and we wanted to get another athlete perspective because we've had an ultra runner, Kelly Emerson. We've had a 24-hour mountain biker, Kate Penglaze. Uh, but we wanted to talk to an Ironman triathlete as well about sort of stepping up the distance in triathlon, which obviously has some unique challenges being, you know, multidisciplinary in terms of, you know, uh, from a nutrition point of view, mainly obviously the running and, and the cycling. Um, so we've got uh, Ironman triathlete Kev Ferguson today. So he's going to uh, give his perspective, I guess, on, um, on Ironman and uh, what that's been for him and, and I guess how nutrition kind of 
fits in with that. So he's someone that, that you've done some work with, Steph, in the past. Yeah, yep. Um, so Kev's, he's a bit of a, um, a local legend, I guess, um, in, um, in Adelaide, in South Australia. Uh, he's, I can't, I can't even remember. I think he actually tells us in this interview, Alan, how many Ironmans he's, he's done. Um, but he's been a triathlete of the, of the year, a four-time age group world champ. Uh, and he was inducted as a legend of the sport via triathlon, triathlon Australia in 2015. Uh, and yeah, he often wins age groups in Ironman. He's um, one of the um, things we're going to talk about as well in the in the episode is how he completed a Ironman um, with his mate Sid James. Um, I won't say anything too further than that. I'll let Kev talk about that and you'll find more about that in the episode. Um, but he's, Kev's really put his body through a lot of, you know, challenges through the years. Um, and I thought he would be a fantastic person to get on, on the episode and give some advice on how he first tackled his Ironman and then, you know, what he's learnt along the way, what sort of challenges he's come um, come um, challenged with and how he's tackled those. So, um, yeah, we're lucky enough to have Kev on. Yep, awesome. All right, well, I think we'll get straight into this one, Steph. Um, it's episode 12D of The Long Munch and this is our episode with Kevin Ferguson. Excellent. Let's do it. Hey, Kev. Thanks for joining us on the Long Munch today. My pleasure. So can you tell us how you got started in triathlon? Because I know you, you didn't start at a young age, did it? You started kind of later. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was um, from the Riverland, so I moved to the city. Um, yep. used to play footy in the Riverland. Yep. Came to the city and yeah, didn't... Uh, pick up any footy and got fat and lazy and smoked <laughs> and drank and threw a flyer for triathlons and same time with my brother and, yeah, decided to, to have a crack at it. Yep. Do a triathlon. Yep, yep. And um, and then from there you just fell in love with it or? Oh, yeah, I mean, my, my brother was always a lot better in sport than me and this time I, I actually beat him and he, he came toward the back of the field so I thought this is the sport for me. So, yeah, decided. That's, that's the best reason. Yes, yeah, the most important reason I think I'm exactly brother right. for the first time. Yeah, <laughs> um, and he coaches now, doesn't he? Yes, yeah, he's a swim coach for a local club, and yeah, he still does the sport. He's got a few problems with his knee nowadays, so that uh, yeah, he's still involved. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, what actually got you interested then um, in Ironman racing? Because I'm guessing when you first started, it was the shorter distance events, and then you popped into the longer distance. Yeah, I can remember it's, uh, the Tin Man was uh, it's like a, a mini event that we did. I, I did that for you know, a couple of years, actually, because I was too scared to, to step it up. Yeah. But, yeah, after about 10 years of doing Olympic distance uh, racing, uh, um, representing Australia at World Champs, uh, yeah, it started to look for a, more of a challenge. And you know, as everybody that does triathlons, Kona, the holy grail of the sport, was yeah. uh, ringing bells at me. So, yeah, I decided to, to have a crack at that. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, and so so did you say kind of like you did t- ten years or so until you kind of looked at that the longer distance stuff? Yeah, and it worked out well as far as my life and my family as well because I had young kids at that stage when I first started triathlons. They were just yeah. born, so for that first ten years, you know, growing up their sport and that was more important than my sport. So yeah. obviously with the Ironman, it's a lot more consuming. Yes, yeah. Yep. Waited today, we're sort of a bit older and. Didn't want me to come to watch them play sport anymore, so then I had a bit more time to, to get out and train. Yeah, yeah, and your wife wanted to get rid of you. That's the most important part, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what's your favourite leg um, in the triathlon and why? Oh, definitely the bike. Um, mm. Obviously, I like going fast and uh, yes. like passing people on the bike. And I think mainly uh, as a kid, my uh, closest friend was about 10Ks away. Yep. So I used to ride, you know, I suppose like now I used to ride my bike everywhere. Um, so we did a lot of a lot of riding, covered a lot of Ks. Mm-hmm. I remember even the um it was between Bury and Loxton. 
There's yep. a big hill there. And I used to have a fixie. I yep. used to love it when the Murray used to flood because he used to ride flat out down that hill and hit the water with a fixie and see how far we could go. So then turn around and ride back up the hill again. So I think that's where I got all my um, base training from <laughs> back in them days, riding the bike for you know, Good fun. Yeah, yeah, good fun. Um, and that would, you'd say that that would be what your strongest leg as well in the triathlon? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I have worked on the other ones, uh, but, uh, you know, the bike doesn't seem to drop off as you get older compared to the, the run. Yeah. Um, the swim I've improved a, a fair bit even though living on the Murray you think you'd be a decent swimmer but I never had any lessons so it took me a while to get a bit of speed into the swim yeah yeah and do you let your brother coach you or yeah we uh, I go to the same sessions at Lakers at Debbie Paul so yeah he, he's actually coaching the yeah. sessions yeah and you listen, listen to him, him but no. <laughs> <laughs> of course not <laughs> Um, and what's a what's a typical training week um, look like for you? It's pretty hectic at the moment, as you, you can imagine. It's uh, got cans coming up. Yep. I've been my first Ironman for quite a while with what's happened in the world. Mm-hmm. And so they're yeah, looking forward to it. So I'm only sort of doing three main sessions. Tuesday um, on the bike, I go up the hills. Thursday's a time trial. And then Saturday, obviously, is, is very long. And then I have mm-hmm. one recovery week on the bike. Yep. Swimming is yeah, two two sessions in the pool grant, and then usually trying to get two pools, uh, two ocean swims in, yep. one shorter and one sort of usually trying to get four k's in, which is yep. getting a bit hard now because it's bloody cold. Yeah, and Sunday we froze. Yeah, um, and then the run, yeah, I've actually cut the running back to around about four um, sessions a week. Yep. You might not have heard I've had a double disc replacement, so yep. yeah, things have changed a fair bit in my life. So I'm starting to. Get back and yeah, looking forward to Cairns. It's been my first time in since the disc replacements. Yeah, and so that's going okay. Your running's going okay after that. Yeah, that seems to be holding up okay. So yeah, pretty pretty happy with it. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, and you've been you've been in the sport for a long time now. Um, what's I know you've, you'll have a lot of memorable experiences um, in Ironman. Is there any one particular one that stands out for you? Um, oh, I suppose you know winning, winning a world championship, and especially Kona, was uh, pretty special. Uh, I always remember that. But I think uh, something that I will cherish forever is uh, um, seeing Sid become an Ironman mm. with a little help from me. Mm. Uh, yeah, Basso, that, that was just something very special. You know, doing something for somebody else and fulfilling their dreams is is a lot better than fulfilling your own dreams. Yep. And can you fill in the listeners on 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 that on what you did there? Yeah, I was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I decided to tow a, a close friend of mine around who's a quadriplegic uh, around an Ironman course. Um, I always remember it gave me the inspiration when I seen uh, Rick and Dick Hoyt do it in, yep. in Kona. And yeah, Sid's uh, weighs seventy odd kilos, a little bit different, and uh, the chair and that was hundred kilos that I had to to tow around. So. And as you could remember at um, Murray Bridge, yep. we did the Suffer Fest, uh, how hard it was, um, especially on the bike. Yeah. Uh, towing 100 kilos and it got came up quite windy. Yeah. Um, and Busso was the same. It uh, yeah, came up windy on the bike towards the end and I had to push pretty hard to get to make sure I made the cutoff on the bike. Yeah. But we made it. We made it with a bit of time to spare. And, yeah, the run, it's a lot easier pushing on the run than Towing behind the towing bike. Towing behind. Yeah. And what do you do? What did you do with the swim? Uh, I had a, um, a blow-up kayak mm-hmm. and had him in that and just uh, just towed him. And actually the swim wasn't too bad. You didn't hardly notice it. Um, okay. I think I swam a 105, which is pretty happy yeah, with. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. Had a, I you know, made a few modif- modifications to the, the kayak and put a, a fin on it so it tracked better in the water and stuff like that. And Yeah, yeah it's, you, you hardly noticed it. It's, if a few yeah. waves, you could feel it jerking you. I've done a yep. few training training swims in rough seas and, yeah, you could really feel it then, but we're lucky Busso was was pretty flat on the day, so it worked yeah. out well. Yeah. And can you tell the listeners as well what you were known for doing when you were training for that um, particular event with Sid? Um, when you were training for the bike leg, how did you go about doing that when you did it by, by yourself? Yeah, obviously, um, Sid living down at Victor Harbour, um, 100 k's away from Adelaide, it was, it was going to be hard to, to train with him. And obviously, being a quadriplegic, he can't afford to have that much time of training as well. Mm-hmm. So um, I had a, uh, 
a what I call a dummy. It's a wetsuit full of um, bottles full of water and bladders, and it's the same way to Sid. Mm-hmm. Called him Wilson because I used to use it at work <laughs> for man overboard. And his yep. head used to keep falling out, so you see it out Wilson. But anyhow, I used to yeah, tow that around. I could adjust the weight, so if Sid lost weight, I'd take a bit of weight out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it worked out well because it simulated um, having Sid in the back of the chair. And I used to get some strange looks, um, only on the run, running along the beachfront, <laughs> yep. pushing his chair with this this dummy in because Wilson had the, the face like Wilson did. <laughs> a basketball with texture face on it. So, yeah, everybody used to look at me and think, what that idiot's doing? <laughs> and they're right, I don't know. I was a bit of an idiot, idiot doing what I was doing. <laughs> and then they saw you on TV and it's like, oh, that's the man that we've been seeing. <laughs> yeah. But it's not Wilson anymore. <laughs> it's not Wilson. It was a real thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was lucky I used yeah. Wilson because, uh, you know, obviously at the start sorting out a few problems and I soon realised that you can't stand up going around the corner with a chair on the back because I actually rolled the cart. So oh, shoot. that's one thing. It was good to have that happen with Wilson yeah. instead of sitting in the back. Sit, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was quite safe. It was a good thing. We had one incident where the, obviously, because they were built for people that were a lot lighter than sit. Yeah. And we actually broke the attachment to the boom, which is a, mm. a welded um, piece of metal. Yeah. So we finished up having to get a solid bit of H iron so the weld wouldn't break. Yeah. So we had a few little issues at the start, but uh, yeah, all worked out. I'm surprised yeah. actually the bike could handle it, you know. Yeah. Good on Cervelo. I'll praise him up because yeah. it's amazing that the bike, you know, amount of training I did with Wilson. Yeah. I used to ride down to Victor Harbour and back every time we had any interviews and stuff with Wilson at the back. So, yeah. Uh, big riding days. Yeah. So, did quite a few Ks. Uh, yeah. With that weight. Held up. Yeah. And that ended up being, didn't that end up being like a three year stint in the end? Like, because initially, obviously, the sights were set on, on doing that in Kona with Sid, but um, logistics and things, I guess, got in the way of that. So um, then kind of had to find another event that that you could do. Did that end up, was it three years? Is that right? Yes, um, um, the Kona October, so we didn't do Busso yeah. that year. Um, it was the following year we did Busso, so it was a lead-up training to Kona and then that didn't work out, so then the following year. So all up, yes, three years of, of training to, yeah. to get ready for it. Yeah. And unfortunately, Kona, I mean, that was due to health reasons with Sid and mm. um, had uh, massive dehydration you know, yeah. about four months behind yeah. and had to have a drip into his bone, mm-hmm. and which they couldn't do in Kona. So the mm. risk there, if he did get dehydrated, uh, was too high. Mm. So I can understand that. And it actually worked out quite well because I don't think I would have made the cutoff in Kona. It was a pretty mm. tough day. Mm. Um and it was great doing it, um, making Sid an Ironman in, in Busso. Yeah. Because um, the support from the crowd was was unreal. And as I said, that in the, I cherish it forever. Mm. Um, coming across that finish line and the applause and going into the finishing tent afterwards where everybody, the competitors, stood up and, and clapped. clapped mm. us. It was, yeah, it was pretty special. And it's the first time it's ever been done too, isn't it? With a quadriplegic, yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 Last time with me as well. <laughs> uh, we just did the Wings for Life actually on, on Sunday. It's the first time we've done anything together uh, since my operation. So that's yep. uh, raising money for spinal cord injuries. Yeah. So it was done at Big Park on Sunday night. So it was good to be out there with Sid again and pushing him around on the yeah. chair. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. That's cool. Yeah, nice one. All right. Well, let's talk about preparing for your, your first ultra distance event. Um and it sounds like you know your first uh, Ironman was, was a while ago now. Can you remember back to to what was your first Ironman that you did? Yep, <clears throat> so I was like it's a, the first was mine at Foster, and it was the last Foster, so that was the first one I did there. So back in two thousand and four. Yep, uh, I'll never forget that one. Ooh, cool. My wetsuit for the first time as well. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and so thinking about, um, I mean, stepping up from sort of, you know, Olympic distance uh, or, or even, you know, 70.3 up to, to the full Ironman distance, were there particular sort of challenges or obstacles or things that you needed to sort of learn along the way that you sort of struggled to kind of piece together? Yeah, it was really hard to get a lot of information about Ironman sort of training and, and what to eat, et cetera, back then. You sort of ask a couple of friends with a couple of their Lakers that were doing it, but they they tend to 
to hide their little secrets, obviously. <laughs> um, and yeah, there wasn't the, all that information on the internet, hardly any books out there. So it was, yeah, it was a bit of trial and error yourself to see what worked uh, at the very start. And yeah, trying to ask as many questions as possible to get that information. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so for anyone who's maybe sort of looking at stepping up distances in triathlon now, uh, obviously, as you said, there's probably a lot more information. Is there anything that you think, any particular resources or places that people can go that you think are particularly good for sort of helping with that transition? Yeah, I mean, actually, in a way, I think it's, it's just as hard for people now because there's so much information out there and to sort of sort out the, what's right and what's wrong and everybody's different and everybody's got their, their ideas. So, you know, what I say, it could be different for what's going to suit them. Um, mm-hmm. As I always say, you know, practice in training. I tend to say practice in, in actually racing because yeah. training doesn't simulate what you do in racing. And that's why I've said before, it's, uh, you should build up to an Ironman. Don't just go bang straight into it. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I, I'd, you know, if, you, if you're struggling, seek advice. That's, that's the best, best way of going, uh, as yeah. I did with Steph. Uh, she helped me out big time. Sort of my problems now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's been a consistent message. I mean, we've spoken to um, Kate Penglaze, who's a 24-hour mountain biker, uh, and also Kelly Emerson, who's a, an ultra-marathon runner. Uh, and I think very kind of similar feedback from them in terms of, you know, as you said, you know, 10, 20 years ago, there was very little information. Now there's information overload and you've got to sort through it. So it's kind of the opposite problem. But at the end of the day, everyone has to kind of go through that journey of discovery for themselves to an extent because what you end up with is going to be very personal or very individual for each person. No, that's correct. We Our body reacts to different things differently. So you're going to have to, unfortunately, um, try and, and, and suffer and, and move on to something different. Mm. Yeah. And, and thinking back to your, your first Ironman, were there any particular things from a nutrition point of view that you were either confused about or you just didn't know or you were sort of really worried about going into the, the first event? I think my main problem was how the hell am I going to get all these bits of power bar stuck on my bike and all the gels and you know, how much you had to carry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, back then I did have power bar was the biggest thing, so you knew you had to eat that. You didn't have much much choice really um, and you had a few different gels mm-hmm. um yeah it's just uh, the amount that i consumed back then obviously i think looking back now was was too much and then that's much of what i used to you know, i couldn't absorb it and i used to you know spend most of it up on bitchman halfway <laughs> through a race you know, yeah. especially on the run you still come back up again so yeah obviously you learn that way and you know i learned that my gut can't take solid food so something different than some other people yeah yeah okay and taking a step back now and thinking about sort of the day-to-day eating in training for Ironman when you first stepped up that distance did you really feel a difference in terms of uh how you ate or your appetite or what you needed to eat what was your experience there with sort of your day-to-day eating as your your training while started going up yeah um it's funny I've just come across some old diaries just recently and then looking back at uh what I'd written in there, and I used to always write in red anytime I ate any junk food and stuff like that. <laughs> and it's actually quite funny to look back through it and, and see when you were eating junk food. But obviously, you know, I knew that I had to eat more carbs and a good diet to perform even back then. And uh, yeah, obviously, being a commercial diver then as well, um, I was eating, you know, shitloads of food. I know that mm. and trying to keep up the demands of working full time and, and training full time for an Ironman. Mm. I was always hungry. So and, yeah, I, I realised back then it had to be good food if I wanted to perform. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and was there anything specifically that you made sort of a conscious change of when you started sort of training more, uh, apart from just eating more generally? Were there uh, any any specific sort of strategies or, or things that you deliberately did? Yeah, I used to be obviously from the country a meat and three veg type person. Mm-hmm. Um, pasta and rice wasn't really a staple in my diet back then so definitely increased um, the pasta to get the carbs and you know potatoes and stuff like that I remember eating a lot of potatoes and sort of stuff to increase my carbohydrate intake Um, and less meat yeah Mm. Uh, was that something you sort of had to learn the hard way by 
you're really struggling first or was that something that you sort of were able to research and read up on beforehand and kind of be prepared for? Yeah, I'm not too sure where I got that info from. It's um, If it's out of a book or, or where, but um, I think there was some sort of stuff going around back then, what's eaters and I men. Um, mm. I, I just really can't recall how I, I knew that I should be doing that, but, uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, historically, you know, carbohydrate and endurance sports was, you know, pretty well established by probably the, the 1980s or 90s. So, yeah, that, that makes mm. perfect sense. I think back in the days is, um, it was just sort of the, the phase was fading out that you had to cover load for three days before an event. Yeah. Uh, I think that was sort of still, people are still practising that. Thank God yeah. you don't have to do that anymore. Yes. <laughs> yeah, or even the depletion before that. Yeah. You know, yeah going back right. to the 80s and early 90s. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah we're, we're talking, we had an episode a few weeks ago around carbohydrate loading and, and discussing exactly that. Yeah. yeah, and um, so looking at your race nutrition, do, does your strategy change much in terms of when you're planning race nutrition for a half Ironman versus an Ironman race? Yeah, not not too much nowadays. Obviously, um, using the custom blend infinite, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's very simple. Uh, not much goes into it. The only thing different, I suppose, is that... Um, I take uh, snakes and, and ginger bear mm-hmm. um, in there and just to, to break it up a bit on the Ironman or mm-hmm. in case you lose a bottle or something, I've just got that extra uh, carbs there, but 70.3, just one bottle of infinite and that's it and don't have any anything else. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah, and on the run it's just a, a, a have net palm, uh, just a, like a gel, small flask with 70.3 and a larger flask for the Ironman. And yeah. use a black, black magic for the rest of the run. A coke. Yep. <laughs> um, and is the reason also, you know, that you you take, I guess, the some of the snakes and the ginger beer or whatever, is that because you get um, just a bit overall the sweetness or flavour fatigue or? <clears throat> yeah, it's just to, to break up a little bit. Um, uh, and I think the ginger bears. Worked out recently that that seems to settle my guts a bit more. Um, even in even with the infinite nutrition, yeah. Know, if I'm pushing too hard, I'm not absorbing it, and I tend to get a bit uneasy. So if I chew on a couple of ginger bears, yep. sometimes that seems to help settle the guts a bit more as well. Yeah. So as I say, the ginger in there that that works a bit. It seems to work on me. It might not yep. work on other people. Yeah. 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 Um. And so you said you, I guess you did run into some problems with, um, you know, getting gut symptoms in, in some of your racing, didn't you, um, yeah. in the past? Yep. Yes, I was in the, just about every race I was I was vomiting um, on the run, sometimes on the bike but mainly on the run. Yeah. And usually around about the 25, 30K mark, everything seems to just come come up. You know? And soon realised um, after you know, speaking with you and stuff like that, I just, my gut couldn't handle any solid foods. Obviously, I'm pushing at a hard pace during Ironman, and yep. it's, yeah, it wasn't absorbing. It just still come up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, um, and then we just kind of looked at, yeah, um, changing in terms of your liquid nutrition and some different strategies there, and then um, it seemed to go down pretty well. Yeah, it's it's been working well. I, I have changed um, again. I used to take in ninety. Um, grams yep. and now I'm down to 75 yep. um, same thing I don't think 90 was sitting in my gut too well, well yeah so backed it down a little bit yep. and I don't know as, as you age you know, things do change so mm-hmm. you know, keep sort of changing things to however it's working and it's not, not working so at the moment 75 seems to be going down okay. quite well yeah 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 that's been a common theme as well with um talking about ultra endurance nutrition with the other athletes as well, just in terms of how, you know, you might have something that works for you maybe for a few years even, but then it can change um, or for whatever reason, whether it be your gut changes, your taste buds change, you get sick of what you've been doing for so long um, and you just need to continue to adapt and learn um, what works for you. Yeah, definitely. Mm, Yep. does the longer distance um, make differences in nutrition on the bike um, versus the run, greater or smaller? Um, 
obviously, yeah, on the Ironman, um, you need to try and get you know, all your carbs in that you've you've taken with you, mm-hmm. so that you can get through the run. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you know, it's, it's the same amount per hour, but because of it, as you say, I'm out there for five hours instead of you know, the two and a half on the seventy point three. So you are consuming that, that liquid nutrition, and the longer you consume it, the chances are it's not going to stay down there. Yep. So yeah, it's, it's a fine line between you know getting it right, and if you go too hard uh, at the start, and it, it done isn't as well at the start. So I've learned that lesson too. If I've taken off and thought I'm, I've had a good swim, and when I get away from a, a pack or something, you can push too hard at the start of the bike. Yeah, um, yeah, that's, um, it can come unstuck pretty quickly. Yeah, so to control my pace at the start to let that start absorbing and, and then start building up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and do you find do you see yourself differences between what the top Ironman triathletes are doing um, that they might be doing something different to the the amateur or more recreational athletes or do you just find that everyone's individual and you see everyone doing different things? In yeah, I think there's still, a bit, there's still a big combination out there of people just using solids, uh, mm-hmm. some using just liquids and then some using a combination of both, you know, so... And I think that's it. I mean, everybody is different. Yep. And I don't see one standard thing that people are doing, or I've noticed anyhow. Mm. I think everybody's got their own little stuff that works for them and, and go that way. Yep. Mm. Okay. Um, so when you've been racing Ironman events, I think we've talked about sort of challenges that, you, that you've had. But one thing I'm interested in is different climates. So obviously you have different races in different places. Sometimes it can be really hot places uh, and potentially quite humid places like Kona um, or, or Busso can be really hot as well and then you can have other races which are, are much cooler do you tend to deliberately sort of mix up or change your nutrition plan in those different scenarios if it's going to be a hot race or a cooler race uh, no I mean I'm lucky uh, with infinite it doesn't um, get affected by the heat it doesn't change the taste as much like some of the other um, liquid nutrition, and after it gets hot, it tastes absolutely horrible. Um, the only thing I've, I've been a bit careful, I have got a high sweat rate, so you know, I've got to make sure that uh, I try and consume a fair bit of uh, liquid, which is then has its own issues, um, sitting in your gut as well. But I always come out, you know, losing you know, anywhere from five to, to 10 kilos at Kona. I just, I just can't keep that fluid in. But as far as what I eat in that, um, it's basically the same. I mean, in the early days, obviously, I was, I was learning and when I used to have solids, I made my biggest school schoolboy error, I think, because um, back in the days when I used to have the chocolate Milo bars, mm-hmm. lots of carbs in there, and it worked well at, at Port Mac, but I, I took one to Kona. <laughs> you can just imagine a, a chocolate Milo bar at Kona. I wasn't thinking that through too well, was I? <laughs> so it's just liquid. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Did you no, uh, did you open the packet before you discovered that? No, because what? Oh, obviously being a commercial diver, my decks, you know, my fingers don't work too well, mm-hmm. and um, so I used to rip just a little corner so it's ready to go. Um, open it, so I had all this liquid Milo running everywhere in my box. So it was, it was a mess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and we were talking. I can't remember who it was with Steph, um, but like even like you were talking about the power bars earlier, like they're really temperamental to temperature as well like the, the original power bars like they're hard as a rock when it's cold and they're yeah. gooey and sticky when it's hot and you sort of have this nice range in the middle where they're about right to not break your teeth and and not make a mess yeah. um, that's why if you get somewhere especially not just the humidity but it's the sun's shining on there that you'd see them they just go all over the top of the tube and, and run down and, and yeah. you trying to get them off it's, it's a bit of a nightmare yeah, oh, because you were doing that sort of that old school where you actually like cut it into strips and physically stick the power bar yeah. to the, the thing, not in the packaging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just cut it all open and have little bite-sized pieces on all over the top of your <laughs> the top yep. tube and around the yep. sides of your head stem, whatever you can fit them. <laughs> yep, yep. Does, yeah, yeah. Do people still do that? I haven't seen it for a while. Uh, no, it's uh, gels that seem to be the most it's yeah. amazing how many gels can people get on top of their Stick top tube. Yeah. I've seen yeah. some pretty amazing sort of setups of gels on top of top tubes. Mm-hmm. I've even you don't seen see the people power bar anymore. No, no. And I've even seen people like um, get like electrical tape and tape like a banana to their seat post. Yeah, <laughs> seen that as well. Yeah. 
Okay. So it sounds like like on a, a hot race versus a cold race, you don't really change the mix of solids versus liquids in terms of how you're going to get your carbs in too much? No, it's uh, no. basically the same. It's uh, I have uh, you know, five scoops per bottle. Um, I did experiment to, with once with just carrying one bottle. I used to have 10 scoops in a bottle. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a bit of an overload on taste. Um, but obviously <laughs> you're washing it down with water after every sip. Yeah. But trying to judge over five hours the sips that you're taking the correct amount is a lot harder than having two lots of five scoops in a bottle. It's a lot easier and, and less room for error, put it that way as well. Mm. So that's probably a, an important learning there is um, not only is it having you know the right amount of nutrition with you, but having it, I guess, packaged up in a way that it's easy to keep track of what you've had or not had along the way. That's right. You get carried away and, and, and drink too much too soon or not enough. So, mm. yeah, so yeah, it's, it's just made that judgment. I mean, it's easy that you've got the drink stations as well and you're sort of judging that you have, well, I do have one in between the, the station and one just as I get to the station and that tends to work out okay doing it that way. Yep. And for a race plan like that, do you kind of have, like, I mean, obviously everyone, well, you know, most people have a plan going into the race, you know, I'm going to have this much, you know, per hour or per, you know, like on the run, for example, between each aid station, however far apart they are depending on the course. Are you someone who has that sort of physically written down somewhere that you can refer to or do you just sort of have it, you know, you memorise and you sort of tick it off mentally as you go through? Yeah, no, it's a, let's just say, a lucky game with the custom blend. It's pretty simple. As I said, for the bike, it's um, one in between the 20Ks and one just before the thing, so it's two sips there and that works out pretty well. I can get rid of both my bottles um, by the end of the five hours. And on the run, um, I don't usually start taking any sort of carbs until, you know, 10Ks and I start sipping on nap palm and then around about 20K marks I've got a bit of nap palm and a bit of Coke mm. and that's about all I, I take on the on the run. Mm. So it's, you know, every every station then it's a sip of Coke and every now and again some nap palm. Yeah. So it sounds like then, I mean, you can kind of check that off mentally because, you know, what you're doing is relatively simple. Like it's yeah. not a really complicated plan. Like, you know, some people go in with these huge elaborate plans uh, and, well, that might be great. It's going to be very hard to make sure you've kept track of everything and, and done it well or or if you've missed out uh, unless, you know, you've got it written down somewhere on your, your bike tube or something. Yeah, that's why a lot of people, you know, they've taken a job every 20 minutes. So, God, just imagine how many jobs you have to have on your bike. Yeah. To, and you know keep track of that you know how many have gone through and that sort of stuff as well yeah and then you start so, second guessing yourself oh have i missed it have i had yeah. two have i had none yeah that's right yeah does get a bit tricky okay um do you see other triathletes i mean i'm sure you probably do struggling to get on top of the nutrition for ironman races and, and if so are there sort of common things that you see over and over again the common sort of themes that come up in terms of challenges that people face yeah, I'm obviously on the run. That's when it all comes unstuck. You see a lot of people walking. And most of it is because, yeah, you, you see them hurling, you know, feeding the bitchman instead of keeping it in the stomach. <laughs> um, and obviously, yeah, it's just that um, the nutrition hasn't worked out too well somewhere along the line, like it did with me. It's just um, they've got it wrong. They've taken it too much too soon, or um, obviously the ones that bonk, they, they can eat. There's plenty of food out there. They can come back pretty strong, but the ones that are walking, all the way, it was obviously they've you know, they've lost it all and just haven't got that up and go to keep going because they feel so sick. Mm-hmm. And how did you go about trying to figure out what was right for you in that sense? Like how much was enough? Yeah, it's, I mean, you learn the hard way, I suppose. Um, trial and error and things weren't working too well for me and I was lucky that uh, I got put on to Steph and we sat down and, and lucky with Steph that she had contacts with Infinite and, I haven't looked back. I mean, that was my best best find. And so, yeah, seek professional advice and if things aren't working and find a solution. And, yeah, Steph definitely did find the best solution for me. And I haven't looked back from them days. I mean, I still still have things that come go wrong. You know, you can't control that. You know, you might swim in rough seas and swallow too much of the ocean. And then that's, you know, that's it's going to come unstuck because uh, salt water in your guts doesn't, doesn't mix with carbs. No. <laughs> no. Doesn't mix with anything. <laughs> As someone who does research in, in salt replacement. Yeah. <laughs> too much salt. Never, Not never a good, good thing. No. 
so yeah, I've had a few races where I thought, yep, everything's going well, but uh, yeah, just followed too much salt water and things have come unstuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so what do you know now about nutrition for Ironman events that you wish you maybe would have known when you first started your Ironman? Is there anything that kind of stands out? Jason Chessite, I know. <laughs> <Good old> <laughs> if I knew him back then, <laughs> if he gave me that magic white powder, yep. <laughs> things would have been a lot different. I could have saved yeah. myself a lot of grief. Yeah. Um, no, obviously, uh, you know, everybody's different. I mean, yeah. I keep talking about liquid nu- nutrition for me. It, it yeah. really does work. Um, yep. I was having a lot of trouble with Ironman. It was, you, you put all that training in and then mm. and it keeps spewing up. It's, it's, you know, it really throws you off. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, obviously for me, solid foods just didn't work. So well, liquid yeah. nutrition, you know, if I knew that back then, it would have saved me a lot of, a lot of grief. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so you mentioned using, you know, the, the particular product, the infinite, um, which, you know, you can sort of customize the blend. So what was it about that that made it viable where it wasn't previously? Was it that you could get more carbs into the same volume of fluid? Was it that you could dial down the flavor or was it there's something else to it? Um, I, I suppose I just didn't know it existed um, back then. Um, but, yeah, the best part about being a custom blend, you know, everybody's got their different taste buds. Um, I haven't got a sweet tooth, so you can change the, the flavour. And obviously you can put, you know, if you did cramps, you can put salt in it. You know, if you want to get a bit of a high, you can get some caffeine in there. You can change. There's so much you can do with a, mm. a custom blend. Mm. Um, you know, so you've got a lot more options that you, you don't have, with, with obviously, with solid food. Yep. Yeah, I think it was also, yeah, it was just about um, uh, knowing, you know, we kind of know what's in that particular liquid nutrition for Kev so we could kind of work out whatever carb intake we were going for. You know, if we're going for 60 grams, all right, well, then we want these types of carbohydrates, whereas if we're going over the 60 grams, we can kind of control it a bit more in terms of, you know, if we go over 60, we know then that we need a bit of the the other types of carbs like the fructose, et cetera. So yeah. it was kind of being able to be more controlled with that compared to like before if we were taking lots of other products and gels and things like that. Um, yeah. Maybe we weren't as planned with knowing the types of carbohydrates mm. that were coming from that and as well, controlled. A bit of Tetris to try and mix and match to get that right combination, but then it may not be the types of products you want in terms of the packaging or the flavour or whatever it is. So just trying yeah. to simplify things by the sound of it. Yep, and then having that kind of, you know, in Kev's bottles and his biddens, like then he'd know kind of, yeah, how much he needs to get through and then top it up with with the fluid. Yep. Um, and the, the intensity that Kev goes, um, he's very competitive. So, you know, I think liquid nutrition generally just goes down nice and easy for him. So, um, and then with, you know, the run nutrition, again, it's kind of just, um, you can use liquid nutrition on a palm, whatever, and you can just concentrate that. So it can be in, you know, gel form or liquid form, and it's nice and easy and portable and, again, knowing, you know, how much you're taking. So um, it's, yeah, I think it was just really through um, a better understanding of what we're getting in and how how to do it and being a bit more controlled. Yeah. yeah. And it must be, like even in gels, I know on one race when um, I've gone through one, that palm, and I was feeling a bit low, and the coat wasn't doing. I thought I'd, I'd grab a gel. Yep. And um, as soon as I put that gel in there, within one k, it came straight back up again. Mm. So it's just that amount of obviously what's in there, the fructose, mm. the wrong amount. It just yep. didn't sit in my gut straight yeah, away. Yeah. Where you know, coke for some reason, I can sip on coke and it doesn't bother me unless yep. obviously I haven't degassed it, and then yep. it does. But yep. um, yeah, gels. Mm. I've tried gels now, and I just this can't take a gel on a run. You. It yeah. just will not work. Yeah. So, and that yeah. might be with a lot of other people that don't realise as soon as they take a gel, it just doesn't sit in their gut and it'll yeah. come up and yeah. Yeah. no one yeah. likes spewing. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, how has you, yeah, we've kind of covered that. So what advice, Kev, would you give athletes preparing for their first Ironman event in terms of, um, of their nutrition? Yeah, as I said before, I mean, Everybody says practice in training. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say go and do some uh, 70.3 before your mm-hmm. first Ironman and, and practice that nutrition and in race conditions. Um, yeah. Because you just don't go so hard in training and, yeah. you know, it absorbed differently training than in racing. So, racing. 
Yeah. You, know, you put all that effort into do an Ironman, you know, pay a bit more money and do a 70.3 or a half somewhere. So really practice, you know, going hard and see what happens. It's good advice. Yep. Yep. I like that. Yep. All right. Well, that's come to the end of the formal questions, Kev. So now we've got time for our bonus round to finish things off. This is where we find out a little bit more about you um, besides triathlon and, and nutrition. So first of all, if you could do anything besides what you're doing now, you could uh, get in the time machine and go back to sort of the start of your adulthood or even just now uh, and decide to start with a blank piece of paper, what would you choose to do? <laughs> Look at now, and get a job because I've just been declared excess at TAFE. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for a job. So yeah. yeah, turn back the time and wish I wasn't excess. But oh well, another life challenge, and I'm sure things something else will come up along the line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is there and, any particular job that sort of that you've always wanted to do or something's intrigued you? Oh, <clears throat> obviously, be a jet pilot. Oh, the obviously. Need, <laughs> <laughs> the need for speed. Yeah, <laughs> break the sound barrier. <laughs> yeah. Go out with a bang. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, is there someone you've always wanted to meet and why? Um, yeah. I suppose at the moment, Arnie. Arnold. Because um, I'll be back. It's been happening in my life lately with a few injuries <laughs> and that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying I'll be back. Yep. <laughs> I'll be back at Cairns soon. So I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> no, but Arnie would be a great person to meet, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. Character. Yeah. Yep. Well, he's been to Australia a fair bit, actually, because of the, yeah. the Arnold Classic in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm assuming they didn't have it this year or last year. I don't really follow it that closely. But, um, yeah, Zoya, who works in our lab with us, she's into that side of things, does a lot of strong woman contests and things, and she's actually competed at the Arnold Classic. She's met. She's met, yeah. Arnie. Yeah. yeah, she would have met him because he comes yeah. down every time it's on. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, Favourite post Exercise beverage after a hard training session. Oh, that's easy. Farmers Union iced coffee. I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, Australian. <laughs> it goes down easy. Yep. We've had, uh, we generally get either flavoured milk or beer, are the two responses. <laughs> and then the, then it's just the details of, of what flavoured milk and what beer. Yeah. <laughs> but that's generally the, the two responses we get over and over again. Yeah. It was quite strange. I mean, I've been drinking it for years and I actually didn't realise how good it was for you post-race. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Protein, carbs, Protein, electrolytes, yeah. fluid. Yeah, moving. Yeah. Um, any piece of advice or motto that you tend to live by? Yeah, <clears throat> obviously, like anything else, it changes. And I think um, one that I like now is um, giving is better than taking. Mm. Um, giving said that um, I'm in metal is something you know, pretty special and um, yeah, and you help other people out. You get a lot more from it than, than, than helping yourself out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You've also raised a lot of money for um, cancer charities as well, haven't you, over your years? Yeah, I'm, that time I did Iron Five Fifty Five in honour of my mum and dad. That was yeah, that was pretty special. My five Ironmen raised fifty five thousand for Cancer Council, and yeah, same thing. And doing Ironman and, and winning world championships is great, but um, doing an Ironman and raising money. Uh, for cancer research was was better yeah got more pleasure out of that mm. awesome all right and final question uh and this doesn't have to be an iron man necessarily it could be something else but is there an event that you haven't done yet but it's kind of on the bucket list and you go, oh, i'd really love to do that one day yeah obviously i think for everybody there's two main races and when we start talking about iron man and obviously that's kona and the other one the championship is is roth um, yeah, I've, I've, I've done the the thumbs, and unfortunately, it looks at this stage, uh, I have to win cross lotto first. But uh, Roth is definitely a, a big bucket list for me, and somehow I'll, I'll get there. I'll do something. But uh, you know, the stories I've heard and the, the vision I've seen—it's just that hill and the crowds. It, it's just yeah, I, I have to do it somehow. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because we were talking to um, Nathan Shearer yes. uh, a few podcasts ago, and that was exactly what he said as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like when you watch Kona, I mean, you just, yeah, you do anything you can to try and get there. Yeah. And so, yeah, Roth's, Roth's the same. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Kev, and for sharing your knowledge and expertise. Um, yeah, we can talk about, you know, and I think this is a theme that's come out from talking to yourself 
and Kate and Kelly as well over these last three episodes is that, you know, it's one thing to know all the theory about nutrition and, and what's ideal, um, but at the end of the day, everyone's got to kind of go out there and um, and just do it, try it, and, you know, eventually come up and, and evolve your own strategy because it is very individual. Um, and I think the other thing that's really come out with these is, you know, we can talk about practising this stuff in training all we want, but until you get into the cut and thrust of racing, you, you're never going to simulate that. Um, and I think that's, again, a, a really common thing that's come out from everyone um, that, you know, unless you unless you do it, you, you'll never know. And so it is going to take a bit of time. So I guess don't beat yourself up in your, your first Ironman race that things probably won't go to plan. And no matter how well you were prepared for it, it'll probably never replicate the real thing no and as you say it and it changes all the time and mm. another thing is i always remember um maca um, i remember one race years ago i saw him drinking orange juice just before the start of the race and i thought jesus so that's his secret <laughs> so then i tried drinking orange juice before the start of the race <laughs> and guess what happened <laughs> fed the fish <laughs> fed the fish yeah and then i remember i i, I told him that i told him i got to know maca throughout my career and I was having a chat once and I said, I remember watching you drinking this bloody two-litre container of orange juice before a race. And he's commented, yeah, I was stupid back then. I didn't know. <laughs> so even the pros back then were making mistakes as well. Yeah. So yeah. Don't yeah. follow what other people do. Yes, good one. Do what you want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time, Kev. Great to chat to you. And, uh, yeah, I think everyone will get a lot out of this. So thanks for your time. Yeah, yeah thanks, pleasure. Kev. Thank you. That was great. Thanks, Kev. A wealth of um, inform information and got a lot of experience. Um, so thank you very much. Uh, so from, I guess, the three athletes we've had, um, Kelly, Kate and Kev, what would be, I guess, some of the t key take-home messages that we've probably taken away from, from all three of them? Well, just as you said that, it made me think that if you want to be good in ultra distance events, have a name that starts with K would be a good starting point <laughs> because all three of them do. True. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think there was there was some very common themes that came through that. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're running on a bike or the combination of the two. Uh, the first one I think that really comes out is uh, for a lot of people, it's going to be this issue of flavor fatigue and the. Uh, the real uh, psychological want to move away from sweet-tasting foods towards more savoury types of foods. Um, but that can vary from person to person, so obviously you don't know until you're in that situation. Uh, but to, to plan for that and, and have those options available, I think, is going to be really important. Um, and uh, the, the planning aspect of it, really crucial you know all three of them i think that came out really strongly is if you don't have a good solid plan for your nutrition you're setting yourself up for failure um in in the long run uh the the flexibility i guess you know we talked about in terms of flavor fatigue but just more broadly it can be textures it can be you know how much chewing and swallowing is involved uh it can be the flavors uh it could be packaging um, real food versus sort of you know more commercial type products is to have that flexibility have enough of everything uh that you know you're not going to run out of anything so if you suddenly decide you know 15 hours into an ultra marathon or a 24-hour race or something you know what i really don't want whatever i had planned at this time then you've got something else to go to uh, i think that's really important uh, you know, practicing is going to be really important, but I think all three people and, and you know, we spoke to Ben Desbro uh, a while ago, he talked about his Ironman experiences, the fact that, you know, you can try this stuff out in training and we always advocate for that. It's a good idea, but it will never replicate what it's actually like to be in an ultra distance race until you've been in an ultra distance race. So you kind of, there will be a bit of unknown in your first one and that's okay. Um, you know, that's that's kind of expected and, and no matter how much preparation you do, no matter how flexible you are, no matter how many different options you take with you, there are things that are going to come up that just come out of left field that you, you won't know until you're in that situation. Um, and then it's a matter of, you know, learning from that experience and then putting that into the next one and the next one and, and gradually evolving, you know, what you're doing and, and improving it incrementally over time, I think is really important that it's not just about executing one perfect race. 
Um, yeah. And, and then I guess the, the fact that, you know, you, you, your wants, needs and desires for that kind of stuff will change over time. So, mm-hmm. you know, what worked for you this year won't work for you necessarily next year in quite the same way. So there is a, an element of, of evolution and continuous improvement that, that these guys go on um, when they when they race at a, a high level in these sort of events. And so, you know, don't beat yourself up too much in the first one if, if you struggle with that, struggle with ideas or, or things just don't turn out the way you expected because that happens to the best of them. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Um, Anything else you want to add to that, Steph? No, I think you covered it pretty well. Um, I'd say just, yeah, with that racing part, um, if there are opportunities to plan some races um, to, that are then going towards your big main race, um, then that can be ideal to try and practice those things further. Um, but, yeah, like Kate said quite well in terms of, you know, um, it's not just one, she can't just do one 24-hour race and think she's, you know, refined everything. Like she's up to I don't know how many now and she said she still, yeah, still doesn't yeah. feel like she's perfected it but it's just an ongoing kind of refining um, a pathway, I guess. So, uh, yeah, I think that would be the, the owning world addition. Mm. Yeah. And so obviously, you know, as we said before, it's going to be very individual in terms of uh, what what your personal likes and preferences are, whether you want more liquids versus more solids. Obviously, Kev was very much a liquids person. Uh, mm-hmm. Kate was very much a, a real foods person and, and Kel you know, kind of Mix. a bit similar. Um, yeah. But at, at the end of the day, you know, until you're in that situation, you're probably not going to know what's going to work for you. And but the important thing is to find what works for you and it's going to be different to the next person. So don't get too caught up in what all the other people around you are doing. Just focus on, you know, what you need to do and, and what works for you. Yep. Yep. Exactly right. Yeah. Perfect. Um, <clears throat> so with wrapping that up, we're now tackling our next um, topic or question. Uh, and that question is... How do I prepare for multi-day events? So obviously we just Mm. talked about sort of one-off ultra-distance events, uh, but there's obviously a whole lot of different multi-day events out there, whether they're competitive races, uh, you know, in terms of multi-stage ultra-marathons. It could be multi-day, you know, road uh, road bike event or mountain bike event, Uh, or it could be even things like a, you know, a charity cycling event or something like that where you it's not necessarily a race but it's you know pushing your own sort of physical limits you know consecutive days back to back Uh, and obviously there's a whole bunch of new considerations that we have to take into account there in terms of you know recovery and and how do I back up from one day to the next Uh, so that'll be a, a really great topic to explore for episode 13. Yeah and that was also a request we did have quite early on I think from a listener too um Alan that was yeah interested in that so yeah so we're we're hitting that one uh and the person that we are lucky enough to have on for this episode yeah yeah really lucky to uh go to someone who's kind of at the top of the tree in terms of professional stage racing so we Mm. uh we've had a lot of people involved with you know triathlon and and running uh not so much in cycling so for this one Mm. obviously cycling there is a lot of multi-day events particularly at professional level so we've gone and spoken to james moran who is a dietitian and nutritionist for team ineos grenadiers which you know for those who know pro cycling will know that that's kind of the the top team particularly in terms of stage racing in in pro cycling they've won i think off the top of my head it's something like eight out of the last 10 Tour de France's um, and a whole bunch of other mm. you know big stage races uh, around Europe as well so uh, yeah great to speak to him and obviously you know they're the, the biggest budget biggest resource team in in the professional cycling peloton uh, but we were really keen with him to get his perspective on I guess what you can do when you have kind of the most resources of anyone in the world but also how mm. that then applies to, to people who are uh, you know uh, don't have chefs and kitchen trucks and, and all that sort of stuff with you and, and how that that can, uh, I guess, the, the concepts that, that they use at professional level can still be used with, with anyone doing a, a multi-day event, whether it's running, cycling or, or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Looking forward to it. Um, and 
otherwise, any questions, please hit us up on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at The Long Munch, and you can uh, listen to us on all your popular um, podcast platforms. Uh, until then, we will say good night, good afternoon, see you later, uh, until the next episode. Good day. See you then. <laughs>